Welcome to the vineyard. I may not be who you expected to jump up here, but let me introduce myself. My name is Jessie Hood. I am the worship director here at the vineyard. In case you are new, God wants you to really be able to see me today. So that's good. Um, but welcome. Are you guys ready to just, everybody's so happy. We made it. People with children or who are involved in the school system, we made it through three of the first days of school, and we deserve a round of applause. We're so great. We are so wonderful, and I am thrilled to be at church, to be at the weekend, to just let my kids be somewhere else for a minute, and we're going to hear from God. I'm so excited to share with you what God's given to me to lay on my heart. I want to talk to you guys about promises. At my house, hopefully, you know, this isn't the case because God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But there's kind of two promises. You have the, the till death do us part. I'm here with you through thick or thin. You know, you can count on me, baby. That's a promise. Another promise is like, I'll clean out the garage. Now, only one of those is working out for me in my life. If you're confused about which one, I'll tell you, I don't really go in my garage very much right now. But that's a, that's a promise. And God is a God of promises. Maybe you have kids like mine who take everything you say really literally. If you are around me or my children, you won't hear, no, well, you will hear. You'll hear no. You'll hear stop fighting. You'll hear quit asking me. But the number one thing I say is I do not promise. Because my kids take maybe as a blood oath. So... <laughs> If you, for example, have really good behavior and they ask to go to the bounce house and you say, maybe, and then you find out that the bounce house closed down, that is a major problem. So now everything is, I do not promise. But thank goodness, God is not like me, and I have really good news for us today. God keeps his promises. So for those of you who are super godly and have already taken out your paper and your notes, and I'll say it every time I preach, God has a message for you. He would love for you to remember it. We're just people, so if you want to write stuff down, that is always a really good way to remember what he is saying to us today. The title we can say is Trust the Process of the Promise. That's going to be, or you can say the will to wait. But I don't like having the will to wait, so we're going to trust the process of the promise. Now, Pastor Joe's been bringing up his big, his, well, big, his small Bible. I brought up a big Bible because I'm godly, so. <laughs> Let's go ahead. Let's turn. You, if you brought a paper Bible, feel free to turn to Psalm 37. It's also going to be on the screen. You have a smartphone. You may have already downloaded the Bible app. There is no judgment. You're here. You can listen. We're going to get in God's Word this morning. Okay, verses 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. When you are finding yourself in kind of turmoil about situations that are completely out of your control, this is a really good chapter, and I encourage you to, to go back and check it out. But this is such a great promise, right? This is, this is the kind of promise, verse, verse uh, 4 especially, is like the kind that people get tattooed on their back, right? 
I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, and he is going to give me the desires of my heart. And that is my life first this year. And so I'm just believing in the Lord to give me all the desires of my heart. But the problem with God is that he keeps talking. Dadgummit. So we're doing really good, and we're feeling great about these promises, and he keeps going. But we like the delighting and the desires. It's a transaction. We get that. Our whole lives, our economy, our culture, everything is built on transaction. Your kids understand it. Pastor Joe leaves the sermon, and he goes and posts up by the office, and you may have seen him with a bunch of Jolly Ranchers. He's buying children's love. (laughs) This is a transaction. If your child can be brave enough to half smile at the tall, scary man, they get a candy, and he gets kids who like him and where everybody goes home happy, right? That's a transaction. But that's not how God is. We can't boil God down to a tattoo that fits on our arm or an equation to get what we want. If I do this and this, that will equal this. And we see so often in our own lives and in other people's lives, that's when we get frustrated with God. That's when we get disappointed with God. We had an expectation that if I did this or if I behaved this way, you're going to come through in this way. And then when he does things like he constantly does, the opposite of the way we expect, it blows our minds. But like, but like for me, sometimes I need God to make me wait. It's the waiting that makes me press in and try really hard to hear what he's going to say. If I have a treat, my dog is waiting to hear what, what, I, what he needs to do to get the treat. And sometimes I'm like that. Like I need God to say, maybe this is a promise that I have for you, but it's not right now because his whole goal is his relationship with us. It's, our, it's his glory and it's our sanctification and purity and relationship with him. It's all about that. So this, this passage, we're doing so good at first. We're trusting in the God. We're dwelling in the land. We're delighting ourselves. We're getting the desires of our heart. He's going to make us righteous. He's going to bring our cause to the noonday sun. It's chapter 7. That's really a problem. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I don't know, that one's not my favorite. It makes me think about how much I rush. If rushing were an Olympic sport, I could probably be a contender. And I'm not super proud of that. But maybe you guys know about that. Especially this week, going into the first week of school, it felt like we were rushing everywhere. We're rushing to get a haircut. We're rushing to get our supplies. We're rushing to get used to a morning routine. This week, you guys may have noticed, if you forgot that EKU was back in session, you're now 10 to 20 minutes late everywhere that you go, and you are now rushing to get anywhere. But sometimes that's how we feel in our own lives. Is there something you're rushing to get to? Is there like a next step that you're waiting and you don't understand why you're having to wait for that? Is there a place where there's a next goal that you have or a thing about yourself or your life that you want to perfect or, or a position that you thought you would be in by now and you're just not there and you want God to hurry up. We just want the reward. We're trying to rush the process of his promise. But God is a God who keeps his promises. The problem comes when we trust his promise and we don't trust his process. To get us there. Okay, so let's look at 
a story in Genesis where someone really struggles with this exact thing. We are going to go to Genesis 16, but before we get there, let me give you a little background. That's fine. So we're going to talk about a guy named Abram. Later, his name is going to be Abraham, talking about the same guy. Sarai is going to be Sarah, same people. So in chapter 12 of Genesis, this guy hits the lottery. He has God, he's just a random guy, and he has God come down, and God's like, you are it. You're going to be the father of nations. He gives him this big promise. You're my man. I'm going to give you descendants that you can't even count, and it's going to be great. Now keep in mind, at this point, he is 75 years old, and he has no children. But okay. And now God says, now I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you all over this land that I'm going to give you. So Abram packs up his family, packs up everything he owns, and he and his wife Sarai march, 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 march all over the place forever. It's just a, it's a lot of walking, but here it is. They're following God. Okay. Now, God keeps telling him he's going to take care of him, and he comes back in chapter 15 years later to make this promise again, gets affirmation. Sometimes when God has given us a really big role or calling or promise, he, he gives you those nuggets, those affirmations, because you need that to hang on when it gets hard. You need that thing to remember when the night gets really dark and it feels like there's no hope that God did promise this and he will come through for you. So God comes back to Abram and tells him again. But now we're going to pick up 10 years later in chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I love that so much. What is wrong with this woman? Why is it his fault? I don't know. I mean, because he was dumb enough to, to say yes to her plan. I just love that as soon as the plan goes wrong, it's like, you idiot. How dare you? I am suffering. This is 100% your fault. And I mean it so much that God come down and judge who's at fault here. That's a confident woman. That's a, that's a woman who you don't want to fight with because clearly logic is not entering the conversation. Okay, but she's, she's got this major problem. She tried to go around the process. But let's, let me tell you a little bit about Sarai. I want you to picture Princess Jasmine. Okay, have you seen the new Aladdin movie? I used to be really, like, not into Abraham and Sarah because, you know, really old people having a baby, gross. I don't like it. So I don't want to think about that. But we find out through the Genesis that at ages, get ready for this, ladies, at ages 65 and then again at 99, two different kings tried to steal her or take her to be their wife. So I don't know what kind of like 
Mary Kay, Oil of Olay, whatever she was on, but it was working for the girl. It was actually not working for the girl because people kept taking her, but you get my point. She's beautiful, but the first thing we learn about her is she's barren. She does not have children in a society where that is your worth. She is wealthy. She's kind of a ride-or-die chick, at least for most of her life. She's marching around with this guy. You know, God keeps talking to him, and she keeps marching along behind him and, and going with him, and she believes his promise. But after 10 years, she's tired. Have you waited for your promise? She's been waiting 10 years, and she's kind of given up. She hasn't given up on God's promise. She doesn't say God's not going to do this. She says the Lord is not letting me do this. So I'm going to build my family another way. It's not that she doesn't trust God. She doesn't trust his process. So she brings in somebody else. And this is our first point. The first problem we can learn from her is, number one, rushing leads to regret. I could give you a billion different examples that rushing leads to regret. Rushing out of my home leads me to back into my husband's truck. It's not a good look. I'm not enjoying it. But rushing plants leads to not as great blooms. Rushing, well, before Instapots, rushing food used to lead to tough meat instead of tender meat that had cooked slow, but now even Instapots. That one doesn't count. But do I have any basketball fans in the building? This is my favorite example of rushing. Okay, so TJ and I, my husband, we love college sports, college football, college basketball. But when the NBA finals and playoffs are going on, we'll watch that because that's when it gets really exciting and it's really fun. Now, if you don't know anything about NBA, when they're in these finals and the playoffs, it's whoever wins the most out of seven first, and then that's the winner. Now, even if you don't know anything about professional basketball, you probably have heard of Kevin Durant. He's an incredible basketball player, okay? He played one year of college ball, and then he went pro. He has two NBA championships. He has two NBA All-Star MVP awards. He has four NBA scoring awards, and he has two Olympic gold medals. He's extremely tall, and if he's on your team, it's a really good thing, okay? So he plays for the Golden State Warriors, and they're demolishing, well, they're doing really good. They're kind of a super team this past year. But during game five, I believe it was, against the Houston Rockets, he strained his calf, his right calf. And he was out for nine games. That is a lot of time to be without one of the best scorers in the whole league. But you also have a lot of other really good guys on that team, so they keep doing okay. Now, they get to the finals, and they're playing the Toronto Raptors, okay, Drake's team. And they get to, again, game five. Now, at this point, it is three to one Raptors. If the Warriors lose this game, it's over. There's no championship. And there's a lot of articles and a lot of shade being thrown at Kevin Durant, like, what's with the big baby and his calf injury that he can't play because his calf hurts? And everybody's giving him a lot of crap. So he decides to play. Okay, they clear him for play, and everybody's on the edge of their seat, and he comes in. He lasted 12 minutes before he ruptured his Achilles tendon. And I watched close-up video, and you do not want to see that pop and that wiggle in his calf. It looks brutal. Now, 
for those of you who don't know, and I study this, and Dr. Shawshank can correct me later, but your calf muscles come together and are held by your Achilles tendon. So to strain one is to strain the other. If you didn't let this heal fully, you could have a ruptured Achilles tendon. So what was an injury that maybe would have knocked him out of this series and then he could have played the 2019-2020 season has him out for a whole year now. He is done. He is full of regret. Everybody is full of regret. And that is what rushing did to him. In Ecclesiastes 3, we see God address this. Verses 1 and then verses 11. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. He has made everything beautiful in its own time. Over and over, Ecclesiastes tells us this. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. But you have to wait. Hagar almost immediately regrets her decision to rush God's promise. As soon as she gets what she wants, she regrets it. Now she's got a whole bunch of other problems, and she would have been better off just staying in the waiting room for God's promise than trying to rush her way through. So often the rushing process takes us further back than where we even started. And I don't know about you, but when I find myself crashed after trying to help God move forward into what I'm wanting, it feels like, He's forgotten me, and he's forgotten the desires of my heart. It's when that delay feels like a denial, when in actuality the delay is my development. That's number two. God is not on our timeline, okay? God is like Dr. Strange for you Marvel nerds. Okay, there's a superhero. His name is Dr. Strange. He had a time stone. Everything was about to fall apart because this big blue egomaniac wanted to save all of creation by killing half the people. And he needed this stone. And Dr. Strange looks at all of time and then does what seems like the dumbest thing possible and gives Thanos, big blue conservationist, this stone. And then our people die. It was a really hard year for you Marvel fans because a lot of people died and everybody just left the movie theater bawling. Because we didn't see what he saw. He did the opposite of what everyone expected him to do. The thing is, you come into Endgame, the next movie, and realize he did the very one thing that made it possible to get to that victory. But nobody understood because he could see all of time just the same way that God can. God sees what we don't see. He does the opposite of what we expect because he knows the steps that we'll take and what it's going to take to get us to where his promise is laying. He is not delaying because he is denying you what you have received from God, but that delay will bring your development. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When we pick back up with Sarai in Genesis 17, it's been another 13 years. It was 10 years, and she tried to reroute God, and then had to wait another 13 before he comes back in. But this time... God is so good. This time, God comes back, and before, Sarai was just sitting on Abram's promise. 
She was riding on his promise. This time, God comes in, and he gives her a promise. Now she doesn't have to wonder anymore if this descendant is coming through her. She knows. This time, God makes it about her relationship with him, not just Abraham's. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Sarai and Sarah both mean princess. But in changing her name to Sarah, God has made her not only a princess, but the mother of kings. He's taken her from princess to queen. Her delay has been developing her and assuring her an even deeper rooted place in God's promise to Abraham. All she was looking for was, was the one child, was the fulfillment of this one promise. God takes it further. Even when she tries to go her own way, God comes back and says, not only will you get this, but you're going to be known as the mother of kings, as the mother of nations. You get to be part of this promise just as much as your husband Abraham. God has not forgotten her, no matter what she did. And that brings us to number three. God's promise does not depend on my perfection. Isn't that such a relief? Over and over again, we see people that try to go around God. We see Eve take the apple and try to go around God's blessing. And God has a different plan. And now there's a new way. But we still have the fulfillment of the promise. God doesn't quit his plan just because we screw it up. Can I take that pressure off of you? You can't screw up God's plan. You can make your own life harder. But you are not so big that God will break his promise to you and that you have wrecked his whole plan. It's not possible. And he is so gracious that even when we try to go our own way, he loves us and gifts us even further. Genesis 21, 1 through 2, just one year later. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. God is faithful. And if there's one thing God keeps teaching me over and over again, it's that not only is he faithful, he's gracious. When I expect God to curse me, he blesses me. When I suffer, I feel him even more closely than at any other time. When I screw up, he still loves me. He is the same yesterday and today and forever is the power of the love of God for us. Romans 5, 3 through 8 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not promise, even in this chapter in Psalm 37, that everything would go well, that everything would be perfect. Verse 24 says, and 23 says, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumbles, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. 39 says, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I don't know where you, where you are at with promises with God because he's made a lot of them. And it's really hard as humans to understand when we don't understand the process. And sometimes there are those big promises and we know he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And that when we surrender our lives to him, we get eternity with him forever. But sometimes there are those personal promises that, that you feel he's given you that he has not come through on. It doesn't feel like the abundant life that he promised is yours. It just feels like a dark, awful time or a waiting time that is stretching year after year and on and on. This is our chance to come forward and pray. If you're mad at God, let's pray about it. God's not afraid of us being angry because we don't understand any more than we get angry when a child doesn't understand what's going on. There's also a chance to come forward if you think that you have a promise and you're not sure and you just want to hear from God today. This is an opportunity. We come together to ask God to just clarify his word. When people ask for a sign from God, he honors that. He gives Abraham a sign. He gave Gideon a sign over and over again. When these people are saying, I trust you, God, but I'm not sure if I'm understanding your process right. I want to make sure that I'm hearing you and not just the desires of my heart, but that I'm delighting in you first. We get to come together and pray, and he's gracious to pour out his wisdom on us. Or maybe you're like Sarah, and you've been riding on the relationship someone else has with God. You've been riding on the promises that someone else has been given and trying to take them on as your own, and it's not working. Let's come to our feet. As we go into this song, I just invite you to come forward. This is our chance to pray for each other. You may need healing today. It may be something totally unrelated. God has promised that he is our healer. We get to come forward for healing. We get to come forward for comfort. God, we just lift up this worship to you. We lift up this message. I pray that you would pierce the places in our hearts that you want to pierce, that your word would sink deeply where you want it to sink deeply. But Lord, that you would show us that you are a God who keeps his promises.